if you were a leader and you were going to say the last words you'd ever speak to those who followed you, you'd pick those words carefully. Think about them. If you were a follower and you knew the person was talking to you the last time they'd ever say anything to you, you'd listen very carefully. If you didn't realize till afterwards, you'd try and remember what they said. So don't you think that Jesus thought carefully before he spoke his last words to his disciples? And Jesus said, we'll find it in Acts 1 and verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. You will receive power, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He gave them two things. He gave them a promise and he gave them a purpose. And they needed the promise to fulfill the purpose. They were commissioned to witness to the ends of the earth and the Holy Spirit would come upon them to enable them to communicate what they had to communicate. We know and we use in common parlance the word witness. I used to, the ways block now in the early morning down a country lane through what used to be New Hall Isolation Hospital in the war then became an elderly residence for the older people, down a footpath, and I went into the side entrance to the crematorium, which is a beautiful place to be in the early morning. And one day, as I approached the hospital grounds, I heard a noise. There were two men, they were stripping lead off the roof of the building and they had a light blue transit van alongside. And when I came back, they were still at it. And no doubt they could take that lead and they could weigh it in and raise a lot of money from it. But it occurred to me that those two men perhaps would be taking the lead off a church roof building the next week and doing the same. So at the end of the lane, there was a telephone box and I phoned the police and uh, they asked me three questions. They wanted to know who I was, where I lived. They wanted to know what I'd seen and whether I would be willing to witness in court what I had observed. I said yes, because if the police don't have the cooperation of the public, they can't do their job. Well, the police car which was sent to investigate saw coming towards them a light blue transit van driving very slowly with very little clearance between the chassis and the tarmac. They stopped the van, they arrested the men and I had my day in court. To do what? To be a witness. The magistrate said, would you please tell us what you saw on the morning 
under discussion. I witnessed and they were convicted. We know the word. And these disciples were asked by Jesus, told by Jesus, to witness what they had known and seen and observed. And what had they witnessed? They had witnessed that Jesus had risen from the dead, was resurrected from the dead, and he was alive. And they understood the meaning of it. And to me, the greatest, the most wonderful, exciting, far-reaching, life-transforming discovery that any of us will ever make on the journey of life is simply that. Jesus is alive. He's real. He's here. He's with us. He wants to be our invisible friend. He wants to be our companion. Daily, hourly, moment by moment. And in his presence, there's joy, fullness of joy. He helps us. He's alive. He wants to help us on the journey. When we're weak, he gives us strength. When we're anxious, he gives us peace. When we're uncertain, he gives us guidance. And every difficulty, every demand, every trouble, every trial, every tribulation, every test, every temptation, whatever comes against us, he says, I'm here, I'll see you through, I'll help you through. To me, that's the best news that we have in the world. And uh, when we find that he's alive, we want to tell other people. I started teaching at uh, Scarsbury Hall School in September 1969. I only live a mile and a half away. In those days, I went on the school coach. We came to the traffic lights, Morris Dancers. Now it's the Beefeater on the right. Just past those traffic lights, there was a post office. And there was an advertising board, quite a big one, and it didn't have any advert on just at the bottom to advertise in this space. And there was a phone number, Liverpool phone number. Now, I phoned that number. It didn't come to anything, but I wanted on that advertising board three words. Jesus is alive, because there's a lot of traffic goes out of Southport to Ormskirk. People going to work, people coming, going home after a day out. And I thought, well, if they see Jesus is alive, they might perhaps seek for themselves and find it true. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If something's full, filling my heart, I like to talk about it. But it's not just a desire to talk about Jesus. It's not just a commission and a command to talk about Jesus. It's a responsibility, it's a duty, it's an obligation. Do we know the story in 2, 7, 2 Kings 7? Samaria, the city was under siege, they were being starved into submission, the Syrian army was all around, there were four other people outside the city walls, they were lepers, they'd been turfed out the city because of their disease. Probably moving around the wall to keep in the shade. And one of them said, well, rather than just die here, if they were dying of thirst and hunger, even worse than those in the city, which was saying some, one said, let's go and give ourselves up to the enemy. 
They'll probably kill us, but that's better than dying one by one outside this wall. And so they went. And what did they find? They found the enemy had gone. Eh? Because the evening before, God had sent a noise of an advancing army, which they all heard, and they were convinced that an army, maybe Egyptians, Hittites, had been hired by the Israelites, and they just, well, you know, fear is irrational, and you know, fear is contagious. You wouldn't believe it if you didn't read it. They left everything and they fled. They even left their mules and their horses. You'd have thought they'd have taken them to get away quick. So what did the four men do? They went from tent to tent. If there was food, they gorged it. If there was drink, they guzzled it. Anything expensive. It says gold, silver, clothes, whatever they found which was expensive, they took and they hid it away to collect it later. And then they said this. <coughs> what we are doing is not good. This is the day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. And we are people who carry with us good news and it's not to be kept to ourselves. Question. Anyone in this building today remember the person or the people who witnessed to us, who told us the good news, who encouraged us to seek and find Jesus for ourselves? Anybody? You can think of somebody and you're grateful. And I'll tell you, you'll be grateful always for those people. The Holy Spirit helped them to communicate the good news to us. Now, we need to understand when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, he does not turn us all into linguists or to public orators. It's not like that. But he'll bring into our minds the words which will be best spoken to the person we're talking to, and he will help us to take those words from our heart to their heart and those words will be powerful and effective. The Holy Spirit is not going to make every one of us fluent, but we don't need to be fluent. Think about Moses. God commissioned him and said, send somebody else. I'm slow of speech and tongue. God said, who made man's mouth anyway? I can enable you to speak. What about the most instrumental, perhaps, character in the whole of the New Testament? Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, said, I did not come to you with lofty words of eloquence. He didn't. I came in weakness. I came in fear. I came in trembling. But God used my words to carry the truth to you. Julian, myself, and I mentioned it before, we owe more to two people than any others on the planet, our salvation, we were out in Zambia. Their names were Daryl and Helen. They were a generation older than us. They were from Northern Ireland. Daryl was the son of a missionary. He'd been brought up as a child in Northwest Zambia. He knew the people, the language, the culture. 
and he was strategic, God will bring the right person for us. For him, he was strategic for me because I used to think religious people were drips and wets and weeds and mamby-pamby and I didn't want to know anything about God. And Darrell was one of the toughest men I'd ever met. He was as tough as Teak. He was a former British Army officer. He was a man's man. He was practical. He could build a whole house and wouldn't have to subcontract any part of the work. He could fix a car if he had the spare parts. He could fix any vehicle and sometimes improvise without the spare parts. But he wasn't very articulate. He wasn't a good public speaker, but he had a heart of gold and we mattered to him and he took an interest in us and they opened our heart, their hearts to us and they opened their home to us the four expatriate teachers the first year of the school every Sunday night invited us to their house. Their house had electricity, they had a generator. Two hours a week we had electric instead of the jolly paraffin lamps. Helen made dark chocolate caramel squares. I'm not kidding, we turned the air in their lounge blue with our bad language and our cigarette smoke and they accepted us just as we were. The end of the evening, Daryl, he didn't find it easy. Said in this house at the end of the evening, I read a few verses from the Bible, a little book called Daily Light, and I say a prayer. Is that all right for you? He could have read the whole of Leviticus as far as I was concerned for dark chocolate caramel squares, so he did. <laughs> they helped us. You know, interestingly, people come to God because of their need. Human need is the doorway where people come to God. People reach to God selfishly because they want, they need forgiveness, help, strength, healing. God accepts them as such. God will bring people across our path who have needs and we can point them to the one who can meet the needs. Maybe he'll meet the needs throughout. Lonely, bereaved, maybe sick, maybe all kinds of different problems. And I look back and I realize when I went to Northwest Zambia in, in 1966, we were needy. Why were we needy? Because Julie had been brought up in Africa and I'd spent some years, but we'd never lived in bush Africa. We'd never lived without electricity. I didn't know what a charcoal land was. And we had two kids, David was three, Mike was one, and we just had tin food and powdered milk and no fresh food. And what do you think my kids thought about that? Not a lot. But Daryl and Helen, strategically placed there, helped us to learn to live in that situation. They gave us the advice and the help we needed. Do you understand what I say? They won us to themselves before they won us to their faith, their saviour. We have to win people to ourselves and then they'll take the words which we speak when we, we ask them questions. They knew we were there for at least two years. I was under contract. We actually stayed for three and a half. So they didn't need to preach at us the first week we arrived. They just loved us and they just prayed for us. And they let God do his own work by his own spirit in his own way in his own time. And we thank God for them 
and will never cease to thank God for them. So we need to perhaps ask ourselves, we were brought across the lives of this couple, who has God brought across our lives at work? Studying with us, sharing digs, socializing with us. Who are the people that we are meeting on a regular basis? What does God ask us to do? To be friendly with them. To offer friendship. To build a relationship. Maybe break by break. Just maybe pass the time of day with them. You understand that expression? You pass the time. We live a quarter of a mile from the main road and on the corner there was a man called Jason McCready and he had a garage outside, alongside his house. He worked outside, washing cars at once and he was making wood stuff. He was a carpenter. And when we walked up the country lane, we always chatted to him. Nothing very severe or deep or profound. And then three houses along, there's a couple known by some here, a lovely Christian couple, John and Dawn Cooper. And they asked us once, does your church, the community church, do, do alpha courses? Because we'd love to go upon one because we've heard so many things about it. We said, would you like us to run an alpha course in your home? Yes. They had a big kitchen table in their kitchen. Put 12 people around it. So we fixed 10 Thursday mornings, half past 10 to half past 12. And I went to Jason. I saw him go backwards when I said, we're thinking a group of us, we're going to look in the Bible and find a bit more about God. But then I said, it's in John and Dawn's house. Oh, I know John and Dawn. Why? Because they talked with him. I said, Mary Vos will be there. Oh, I know Mary Vos. Because she talked to him. I said, Julia and myself will be there. Oh, yeah, I'll come. Passing the time of day with somebody had built a bridge and over that bridge we could issue an invitation. So we talked to people. <coughs> he was the only one, I think, out of a lot of us who didn't miss one of those Thursdays. Do you know sometimes God gives us the opportunity to be kind with people? And you know kindness will break through the hardest heart and soften the hardest heart? And sometimes those people will have opportunity to help us and it's very important that we let them. It builds the relationship and also makes them feel good about ourselves, themselves. Daryl and Helen, when they came across our life, they had something different. Some of you understand what I'm talking about. I'm meeting with people. Young people, don't be scared to be different. Have the courage. Don't worship at the idol of popularity. Your difference will be the thing which attracts people. And they'll probably envy you for the very fact you dare to be different. When I was with these two people, they had something I didn't have. I was on the outside of it. I was looking in. When I asked them questions, I couldn't deny the reality of what they said. And because I've not found something on the journey of life, doesn't mean to say it's not there to be discovered. And people may see something different in us. I hope they do. Maybe they'll see a peace in us which they don't have in their own lives. We're not aware of it particularly. 
Remember your dear dad, Julia's dear dad, a really hard-working man. He used to come from Africa about every two or three years, stayed with us, left a note once in the bedroom when he'd gone. Thank you for your hospitality. He says, you two have attained a peace which has always eluded me, he said. That itself is a witness. And it causes people to ask questions. So what do we do about strangers, people we've not met before, people we just come across? Well, firstly, let's notice them. Okay, let's notice them. Successful company, own office block, managing director, got about 20 odd of his up and coming ambitious young men and ladies for a motivational talk. At the end of the talk, piece of paper for each one, 10 questions, mainly about the company. Who was the founder? What year was it founded? To which country do we do most exports? What other countries do we export our goods? Question number 10. What is the name of the lady we often meet cleaning the foyer when we come to work or when we go home in the afternoon? And what do we know about her? Most of those young people thought it was a joke question. And one of them said and wrote, her name is Gladys. She's been working here for eight years. She comes from Ghana and she's got three teenage boys. Don't you think the next time a promotion door was open that that particular person had a foot in? Because they noticed somebody mattered to them. What's it like to sell big issue outside Aldi? Think about that. I go to the Q1, there's one in Bergdale. And people deliberately do not notice you. If you greet them, offer them to sell, ask them how they just not hear you. They'll avert their eyes. You're fitting your piece of furniture. What's that feel like? You're getting colder every hour? Dear lady at the moment, quite often at the Q1, if you wanted a definition of misery, just had a look in her eyes last week. She was sitting down, she was so tired. Dull with misery, those eyes were. And does it cost an awful lot when I get my pound back from the trolley to go to her or to him? They often change. I wish I had Karen because they're mainly Romanian and the English is not good. But what does it cost to take that pound from the trolley and go and smile at them? I like to say this, do you know, Jesus, and I point up, loves you, he loves you, do you know that? I give them a pound, and I look them in the eye, I notice them, and I smile, that's not a big deal. If every Christian did that, it would make a difference. One in Chapel Street, I'm not often in Chapel Street, we don't get a pound from the trolley when you go to Marks and Sparks. Well, I don't, so I, I, I found a two-pound coin. And I went to her, said the same thing. Do you know that God loves you? She said, are you a Christian? <laughs> and she spoke pretty good English. My, couldn't work yesterday. I had to take my son to the hospital. 
goes by the name of Seraphin. That's a good name for a son. I said, could I pray for him? Thank you. I did. I gave her the coin. Next time she remembered me. Some are doing better, still need prayer. I prayed again. I'm talking about what happens when we meet up with strangers. And I'm saying, talk to them. You say, I can't just talk to a stranger. What do I say? Ask them a question, maybe. Where are you from? How long have you been here? Have you got a family? Most people want to talk about something. The thing which fills their heart, it might be their holiday, their grandchildren, their football team, whatever. Just get them talking. And be prepared to listen to them. The opportunities which come. Galatians 6.10, it might come up, key verse to me. Oh, clever man, John Rimmer. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all men or all people. As, do you realize that opportunity is a gift and wise people know when it's a gift and if it's a wise person that accepts a gift? Every time I encounter somebody, it's an opportunity, it's a gift and the opportunity to talk with them. And sometimes in the conversation, the opportunity to turn the conversation around and talk about our faith. That's what the opportunity brings. What about when we're in a queue? Anybody here like waiting in a queue? No. It goes much quicker if you're talking to somebody. Talk to the person next to you. Not a, what about when you're waiting? Doctor's surgery, dentist, hospital. I've had a few of those this next month, or last month or two. A few more in the pipeline. You wait for hours. Well, in my notebook, I have a concise, quick crossword and a Sudoku puzzle, but very often, I just talk to somebody. One gentleman in the Southport Hospital had his whole life story. It was very interesting. Gave him a track with our address at the end, said, if you're any passing. One lady in Ormsgate, a very sad life story. When I gave her a track and said, if we could have, she was crying. Just talking to people. What about when we're traveling? We're meeting people all the time. Jesus met the woman at the well when he was traveling. God allowed his church to be persecuted so that the whole bunch of them scattered outside of Jerusalem for their life. And as they scattered, they scattered the seed and they told people about their faith. What are you doing? Why are you here? Where are you going? Traveling. You might sit next to that person. Don't be so British. Sit next to that person on the coach or the train or the plane for four hours and not even speak to them. Talk to them. Maybe God put them there. How many people here, and you, you, you've met somebody on holiday and they've become lifelong friends? Anyone? You're not a friendly bunch, are you? <laughs> Take the opportunities which are provided. And uh, when you learn about their life, I sometimes say to them this. I said this to a lady. We're coming back from a wonderful church walk on uh, Thursday. And uh, I said, can you look back on your life from today in the past? 
See, when you roll out the carpet, you only see the pattern when you look back. But can you look back on your life and with hindsight, are you going to tell me today that everything has happened to you in your life, chance, luck, accident, haphazard, coincidence, or do you think perhaps that some things happened were meant to happen? Ah. One person categorically said nothing was meant to happen. But most people, well, I, it wasn't the job I went for, but I'm sure it was the right one. Or I met that person, I'm sure I was meant to meet that person. And I say, well, there are too many coincidences in life to be coincidental, so that has to be providential. What's that mean? I say, the hand of God is over there arranging and controlling and making that thing happen. <clears throat> they say, but how can I run my own life and God's still in control? I, I put it this way. I say, if you go on a cruise ship, you can't go on the bridge, you can't go in the cruise quarters, but you can choose which deck, which lounge, which activity. You have a freedom of choice, but there's an overall hand taking your ship from wherever to wherever. And the hand of God is over our lives in that way. And then uh, we were delayed at some considerable length. Which station was that, Chris? The train in front had broken down. We all got out and just had to wait. Our train went off, I think, to pick up the people ahead, and we caught the next train. And there was a lady, young lady, just on her own on the platform. We're just waiting, waiting, waiting. And I said, excuse me, could you answer a question for me? Yes, if I can. I said, do you think my life expectancy is such that I'll be able to be still breathing by the time I get to Southport Station? And she was very complimentary. She didn't say, well, she didn't say, well, maybe just, or... She said, yes, I think. I said, what happens if I lose the will to live? She said, that's a different matter. <laughs> anyway, with the new train, we get on, and we, she sat with us. And the lady I'd been talking to about, the girl, I say girl, 21, Edge Hill student, was Harry, only one day a week, though, doing education. She turned out to be the daughter of the couple who lead Kingsway Fellowship, which is a very good church in Crosby. And her parents, I taught her mother, and her mother found Jesus at Scarsbury Hall School. And uh, so did her brother, and later from them, the mother, the grandmother, found Jesus. And it's not a small world, Dave Gregg. The point is, I'm trying to tell you, it's not because it's a small world. And the lady I'd been speaking to <laughs> said to me, repeating my words, there are too many coincidences to be coincidental. <laughs> I'm just getting over the fact that we're having to teach the leaders of this church. If we're going to fulfill the commission that Jesus gave us, we're going to have to be proactive. That means we're going to have to talk to people. That means perhaps if there's somebody standing or sitting alone, maybe that's a prompt that maybe we should, maybe. I can think of three people I met in Southport Hospital, patients. I didn't go to visit them, I went to visit somebody else. And they were on the other side of the ward, 
and they didn't have a visitor. The first one was Diane, Julie knows who I'm talking about. I just smiled at her. How do you feel today? How long have you been in here? When do you hope to go home? Well, I've got surgery on Tuesday. I said, would you like me to pray? And pray for your loved ones so they're not anxious about you? Well, not many people say no to that when they're facing surgery. Come on. Find me an atheist in a jolly lifeboat or the front line of a trenches. And then she said rather sadly, she said, I won't be able to go back to my accommodation. It's not suitable. Now, it so happened, don't start small world on me, that my mother-in-law had passed away and her accommodation, her apartment, McCarthy Stone Building, Churchtown, called Sterling Coat, it was on the market. And there's this lady saying, I don't know where I can possibly get. Well, I put one and one together. I said, well, I happen to know. And she sent her brother to view the apartment. And on his recommendation, she put in an offer. And she bought it before she even got out of hospital. And she'd live there. And we used to visit her quite a lot. And she came to an alpha course we had in the other building. And she found Jesus. You say, well, that was a chance. Was it a chance meeting? I think of another lady. I went to see Mandy Bissett. And she was sweet, she was German. She lived in Latham, I found out. Her story was brilliant, really. The war was over, her city was blitzed. Her husband was dead, German pilot. She had a three-year-old child, name of Heidi. And one day, the little child wandered off, as three-year-olds can do, not far. Fortunately, the occupation army was the Allies, there was a British troop there. And one British soldier saw his little girl said, language difficulty, find mummy. And uh, took his little girl and they found mummy. Mummy was very grateful. Next day, he went back, bar of chocolate. Uh-uh. They were the first couple to be married after the war. English Tommy, German wife. Beautiful story. I came to England. She had a lot of hostility. It was 1945, but she had a good marriage. Ron, her husband, was dead. They had a daughter, Carolyn, lives quite close. She used to bring her children later to play with. And she offered me a, an after eight. She said, I'm not meant to eat after eights, but someone's brought one. Would you like one? I said, thank you, I was cheeky. I said, if I bring my wife to visit you in your house in Latham when you come out of the hospital, will you give me another raft? She said, I will. How many times did we go to Greta? <laughs> I didn't get after eights every time. We went just to see this lady, okay. But she found faith, she found Jesus, and I had the privilege of taking her funeral. Chance meeting? Last one. Kathy White, so sad. She was in hospital. Her husband, while she was in hospital, died, and she couldn't even go to her husband's funeral. But she told me she had a sister in America who was a born-again Christian. I thought, this lady's been prayed for. She didn't know God. But when she came out of hospital, she joined our church, Baptized in Tarleton before she passed away, a member of the Calcutt Midweek Group. Do you remember? And the f 
children when she died would not even tell us when the funeral was, let alone us to go to it or take any part of it because they thought all the church wanted was her money. You remember? So we had a lovely midweek group where we just had a Thanksgiving service. Chance or divine appointments? But the point was, we have to be proactive. Offer to pray for people. Offer to pray for their loved ones. A lot of people will appreciate that. If you talk to somebody, water the seeds you've sown by prayer. Does that make sense? I write their names down. And I pray. If you witness to somebody on Sunday, pray, pray, Monday, Tuesday. Keep praying. Those seeds will germinate. Get somebody else to pray. In Northwest Zambia, there were no telephones. That goes without saying, but they did have shortwave radio, you know, over and out and Roger and all that stuff. And the missionary stations made contact with each other early evening. And Daryl and Helen, to those missionaries, probably a dozen in four different missions, said, will you please be praying for a couple called John and Julia who've come to the Boma? That's pretty powerful. No wonder I'm here today. We, when I finished my contract, just happened to come to live in Southport where Millie, our missionary friend, had come from. When you get to Southport, will you go and visit an elderly lady? Her name is Mrs. Nunn. She's actually the grandmother of David Gearing, who runs Canning Road Church, or leads it with Liliana. Because when I came to Winnie Julia, you weren't a Christian. So I wrote to this lady in Southport called Mrs. Nunn and said, would you please pray for a Julia Sutton Smith? How pleased will she be if you walk into her house and she sees before her eyes an answer to prayer? And she was. So get other people to pray. Sometimes when I'm talking to somebody about God, I say, if God is after you, you might well find in these next weeks somebody else is talking to you. I said, when God's after you, it's like being in the boxing ring. Your opponent hits you with a straight left, and the next minute, it's an uppercut. And God comes at you from different angles. Does that make sense? And this man's name was Larry. He was trying to sell us a timeshare, some chance he had. I was offered one as a gift, and I refused. I said, I wasn't going to buy one. But uh, you know the patter. May I call you John and Julia, by all means? Where do you come from, John and Julia? I said, South. Oh, I come from Skemmersdale. I said, that's interesting. We have a congregation of our church in Ormskirk and people come from Skemmersdale. What kind of church? That was it. He's got to keep you there for minimizing one and a quarter hours to get his money, much more if he sells. So we spent an hour and a quarter talking about our faith. And I said that when I left. I said, if God is on your track, which I have reason to believe he is, you might find somebody else. Was it four weeks later? This is Larry. Have you ever heard of a man called Colin Urquhart? Because I had, I said, I have actually. I had two people from his church today and they talked the whole time and they just were saying exactly the same things as you said, but with the different words. So we can believe that God will reinforce the words we speak and we can pray. If your loved one is not walking with God, 
used to be, but isn't. I will pray that God brings across their path somebody they will respect and they will listen to and take the truth from. They won't take it from their nearest and dearest. You do the loving and the praying. God knows that strategic one who will bring a witness which they will be willing to receive. Anyone in the Boy Scouts at any time? Right. What's your motto each day? You have a motto in the boys. Be prepared. I thought you were going to fail me then. Be prepared. <laughs> if we're going to live a lifetime of witness, you ought to be prepared to answer questions. Wake up. <laughs> if we're going to have a lifetime of witness, we need to expect it and be prepared for it. Expect to talk to people about Jesus. I always take a card, just a piece of card and a pen because I need to people write names down and I take a notebook and in my notebook, I take a couple of tracks. One's called The Incurable Christ. The other's talk is You're Special. I've got my address at the back, uh, address with England, because sometimes we're overseas. I've got a name, a telephone number, our email address. I say, take this. I say, if you ever need prayer for yourself or anybody you care for, one, one phone call, one email, and you'll have two other people praying. I say, if you're ever in the area, Come and see us. I say, Julia's a good cook. And, uh, true. And uh, if I'm in Africa, Joy understands, God willing, we're there next February talking to this conference. I do not say, I bring you greetings from Southport in England. And if any of you are ever in England, please come and stay with us. We live in Southport. The word stay in that country is synonymous with the word live. <laughs> they have just heard me say, come and live with us in England. Five extended family and 14 suitcases later. <laughs> so we give these out and we give invitations with them. If I visit somebody, I like a pocket Bible. I don't like walking in a house with a Bible like a suitcase, but I have one. I visited somebody this week told me she was pregnant. I said, does the dad know God? No, he doesn't believe in God. I said, let me show you a verse in the Bible. I got my Bible out and showed it. One verse about this person in the whole of the Old Testament. James knows who I'm talking about. He's a study student of the Word. I said, see what it says here about a man called Enoch. It's the only verse about Enoch, and it says this, and she read it with me. When Enoch became 65, or when Enoch was 65, he became a father. And from that day, he walked with God for the end of his life. He was 65, became a father, and walked with God forever after. I said, I like to think that when he held his seven pound, eight ounce baby in his arms, it was more eloquent than 10,000 sermons from John Sutton Smith. And it just spoke to him so powerfully about the reality of a miracle working God. I'm going to pray that the dad of your child has that same experience when he sees and picks up his little baby. Take a pocket Bible. Expect to use it. At least it's there. Richard McLaren, anyone remember from America? He's a great man. He's passed away now. He used to go home to USA for Thanksgiving. And uh, he always carried a Gideon New Testament, Proverbs and Psalms, every time. Very rarely, if ever, did that New Testament reach the same destination as Richard. 
he found somebody waiting in the terminal. Once a customs officer, they're not known for their civility in America, immigration and customs, he said, what's that in your pocket? He said, well, this is a gift. I brought it all the way from England. And the man accepted it. Very glad. So be prepared. Expect. Believe that God will bring us to the right people, bring us across their paths. Believe that God will give us the words to speak to those people, what to say. God will show us if part of our experience, our testimony is relevant and would help them. Until witnessing, the commission is witness in Jerusalem, etc., etc., will be just part of our lives. And if it is, just as many of us can thank God this day for the person who witnessed to us, many people can be grateful for us through time and eternity because God used us to point them to Jesus. Can you think of a better legacy than that? Let's have the musicians up. I want a bit of quiet for a moment. Musicians will be coming up. I'd like us to just reflect on some of the things we've heard today. I'd like us to say yes to God, to the challenge of today, and maybe say yes to God in one particular area. Yes, God, with your grace, with your help, by your spirit, I will. So in the quietness before the musicians start, it's just a time to contemplate, remember, and respond to the words which we've heard. Thank you.